After my dad died, I remembered sitting around a table with my siblings arranging his funeral. We were talking about how we would cover his eulogy in the service. And the more we talked about it, the more we realized that our four stories of dad, our four experiences, were very different. Yes, we were talking about the same person, but though we shared many of the stories, we didn't share all of them. And even the shared stories provoked very different reactions in us. And what was a great memory for one often wasn't so for the other. What one thought was important wasn't always so for the rest of us. In the end, we decided that all four of us would each bring our own eulogy. And the overall result was a much fuller, richer picture of our dad. And it was probably far more honest than if we had tried to write one single story together. And this is what I love about the Gospels. They each offer a different perspective on the life of Jesus. And the overall story is the same, but the details are different, giving each of them a unique colour. So Mark's resurrection narrative begins with three women hurrying to the tomb as soon as sun was up. They wanted to complete the burial by anointing Jesus with strong spices to sweeten the smell of decay. And these same women had stood at the cross watching Jesus die. They'd gone through that agony with him. And the horror of what they witnessed there cannot be overestimated. They would have gone into Holy Saturday with deep shock. They would have been just completely overwhelmed by their emotions. But nothing was going to stop them from finishing their task. And their only worry was, who will roll the stone away? But that wasn't their only problem, because we know from Matthew's gospel that a Roman guard was posted outside the tomb, and these soldiers were hardly likely to be welcoming. It struck me afresh what bravery these women showed as they hurried towards a potentially dangerous situation. What a contrast to the 11 disciples who were nowhere to be seen. Now we know that they had nothing to be afraid of. The tomb was already open. The Roman guard had disappeared. But these women didn't know that. They expected to find a dead body. They weren't prepared for anything else. But when they looked up, an extraordinary sight met their eyes. They saw that the stone which was very large, had been rolled away. Notice how Mark emphasizes the size of the stone. He wants to preempt any suggestion that the women might have been able to move it by themselves. Imagine the disbelief on their faces. They had already been through so much, only to receive yet another shock. And once again, the women show great courage. Without hesitating, they entered the tomb, only to find a young man dressed in a white robe sitting there. And for the very first time, Mark describes the women as alarmed. 
No wonder. For where was Jesus? The women were still looking for his body. Even now they had no expectation that Jesus was risen. For all they knew, this young man was involved in Jesus' disappearance. Moreover, what kind of man was he? Clearly no ordinary person, rather a heavenly visitor. And this is confirmed by the other Gospels who describe angels clothed in brilliant white garments. And his purpose is to inform the women what had happened and to tell them what to do next. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And the angel told them to look carefully so that they would be able to remember every detail of what they'd seen. For they were the very first witnesses. Now some believe that the resurrection is pure fabrication. They suggest that the disciples were responsible for hiding Jesus' body so that they could later claim that Jesus had risen just as he had promised. And it wasn't a secret that Jesus had said this. In Matthew's gospel, the chief priests and Pharisees warned Pilate to place a guard at the tomb for this very reason. But if the disciples were behind the disappearance of Jesus' body, why ever would they have had women arrive first at the tomb? Because according to Jewish law, women were not reliable witnesses. Indeed, when the women first told the disciples that Jesus was risen, they didn't believe them, but thought their words were nonsense. And that, that's in Luke, Luke chapter 24. They thought their words were nonsense. If the disciples really had planned to engineer Jesus' resurrection, they'd have done it completely differently. They would have made sure that the men got to the tomb first. Instead, God did it his way. You see, God regularly uses the most unlikely people to do brave things for the kingdom. It wasn't one of the 11 disciples who asked Pilate for Jesus' body. God used two frightened men to do something really scary. The first was Joseph of Arimathea, whom John describes as a secret believer because he feared the Jewish leaders. And the second man was the Pharisee Nicodemus, who'd visited Jesus under cover of darkness. These were the men who collected the body and placed it inside the tomb. These scared men who believed in secret who believed under cover of darkness, went to Pilate for Jesus' body. And as we've just seen, God didn't use one of the 11 to be the first witness to the resurrection. God chose some women. Women who had no standing in the eyes of the law. Women whose words were dismissed as nonsense by the disciples and probably something much worse by the Jews. God was taking a risk. But in the end, God was proved right. The angel told the women to see the place where Jesus lay and to go and tell the disciples and Peter 
that Jesus was going ahead of them into Galilee. The women obeyed the angel, but this didn't mean they weren't scared. The fact is, they were petrified. Mark says the women left the tomb and fled, trembling and bewildered. He tells us they said nothing at first because they were afraid. But we know from the other Gospels that the women did pass on the angel's message. True bravery is when you do something despite being afraid. God chose his first witnesses well. He didn't make a mistake. Incidentally, did you notice how God included Peter? Poor Peter, who had run away in the Garden of Gethsemane and then denied his Lord three times. Go tell his disciples and Peter. At first glance, Peter looks like an afterthought, as if he's no longer included amongst the disciples. Whereas the opposite is true. God is emphasizing the importance of including Peter. He still has an important role to play. Here's the thing. We all get things wrong sometimes. I regularly get several things wrong before I've even had my breakfast. And when we do, we may feel as if we've lost the right to be a follower of Jesus. We feel that we're no more used to him. But that's a lie. There's always a place for redemption. No matter what we may have done in the past, what we may have said or done this morning, if we're sorry, God will lift us up and restore us. If we let him, God will give us a new story to tell. He'll create a new plan and new opportunities for our lives. That's what God does. He did it for Peter and he'll do it for us. And I just sense that there are some people here listening to this talk who've got stuck in negative patterns. You feel that you're always letting yourself down. You're always letting those around you down. And most of all, you're always letting God down. You struggle to believe that God would want to forgive you yet again. You just can't see how things might change. Take another look at Peter's life. He let everyone down. He let himself down. He let the other disciples down. Most of all, he let Jesus down. But God restored him. On that first Easter day, God gave Peter a new story. And Peter went on to do amazing things for the kingdom. And God's saying to you this morning, I can still use you. Trust me. And the women also received a new story on that first Easter morning. Once they'd got over the shock of seeing the empty tomb, they were unstoppable. Now, each of them would have told their story slightly differently. They'd have emphasized different details, a bit like us at my dad's funeral, talking about the same man, but each doing it in our own way. And that's how it will be for us 
when we talk about God because each of us has a different story, a different experience to share. And actually it's the differences in our story that make them authentic. If we all said exactly the same thing and used the same words, it wouldn't be real. It wouldn't be real. And the most exciting thing is that it's our turn to talk about Jesus. And the best thing of all is that the Easter story is the best story of all. It's the story of victory, victory over death, victory over evil. For Peter, it was a story of restoration and new life. For the women, it was a story of healing and hope after the trauma of Jesus' death. For all of us, it's the promise of everlasting life. Death is not the end, it's the beginning. This is the truth, the hope that our world is longing for. And remember that God can use the most unlikely things to say and do brave things for the kingdom. He's chosen us to be bearers of the good news. He's relying on us. God didn't make a mistake using Joseph and Nicodemus. God didn't make a mistake with the women. And he definitely won't make a mistake with us. Amen. Father God, I I pray for everyone here in this place, listening on the live stream. Lord, we all have unique stories and we all have unique mistakes. We all have unique characters. Father, thank you that you love us. You love us knowing our weaknesses and that you long to come to us afresh today and say, my child, I love you. You can still do wonderful things for me. I've got so many plans for you. Take time to listen, to listen to my voice. And above all, trust me. Trust me that I am stronger than your fears. Trust me that I am stronger than your fears. Trust me that I will give you the right words to say. Trust me that I will show you what to do so that you can bring blessing to a hurting world.